Hey everyone, welcome to That You May Know Him, a podcast where we are committed to proclaiming biblical truth that helps you know Christ better than ever before. Hey everyone, this is Blake. Welcome back to the That You May Know Him podcast. What you're about to hear in today's episode is a conversation that I recorded several weeks ago with my good friend and co-author, Dr. Richard Cox. Many of you know that Dr. Cox and I wrote a book together that was released this week from Whippenstock Publishers. The book is called Secularism, The Church, and The Way Forward. The reason I thought it would be really, really great to have this conversation with Richard Cox and to release it as sort of a run-up to the book was really twofold. The main reason was that I wanted people to have sort of a warm-up or an amuse-bouche, to use a culinary term, before getting the book in their hands. We talk a lot about not just the contents of the book, how the book started, but also the process that we undertook to write a book that is completely in dialogue format. The entire book is a conversation between two people. But I also wanted to have this conversation with Dr. Cox in order to give our listeners a glimpse or an introduction to the other main driving force behind this book. Actually, probably the main driving force behind this book. Dr. Cox has become a very good friend of mine, and he's lived a pretty amazing life. There is a lot that he has to share with the world, and there's a lot that all of us can learn from him. I'm not going to give too much away um, about him because I'm going to let you listen to the interview, to the conversation, and learn about him for yourself. But he has had careers in ministry, in counseling as a psychologist, in medicine as a doctor. And through all that, he has maintained his, his chief identity as a minister of Jesus Christ. And so I just thought it was going to be really cool if you all got to hear us having a conversation and mainly getting to know him before reading the book. That's it. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I hope it's a blessing to you. I hope you also enjoy the book. It's available now from Whip and Stock Publishers. You can buy it right off their website, and it should be on Amazon within a matter of days. It's working its way through the distributors. Thanks so much for listening to the That You May Know Him podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Be blessed, live loved, and I will talk to you on the other side of this one. Hey everyone, this is Blake, and welcome back to the That You May Know Him podcast. I'm excited to be joined today by a very, very good friend of mine. His name is Dr. Richard Cox, and we together are the co-authors of the book Secularism, The Church, and the way forward. You know, those of you who listen to the show know that over the past year and a half or so, I've been privileged to be writing a book along with Dr. Cox, and it's coming out soon. It'll be available through resource publications of Whipton Stock Publishers. And I've got Dr. Cox on with me today to talk about the book. So first of all, Dr. Cox, how are you? 
Welcome I'm to the fine, show. thank you, and I'm glad to be with you. Fantastic. Would you mind giving our listeners, they've probably mm-hmm. the ones that listen a lot, have heard a lot about you already, but would you mind giving them just a, a brief introduction of yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and your life and Oh my goodness. Where you're at. I know, that's a that's a tall order. If you live to almost ninety three, that's a lot to talk about. That is a lot to talk about, isn't it? Well I guess Did you say you're thumbnail, um, <clears throat> I was born and raised into a Christian home, and so the concept of uh, of uh, Christ and salvation and all that goes with that is uh, was uh, just kind of born into me, and uh, <clears throat> I was um, as a child. Uh, required, I guess, was the right term, although I'm not sure I ever thought of being required to go to church all the time. But we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival a couple times a year, and Bible school and all kinds of other things. Um, <clears throat> then when I was uh, in high school, um, I was a very poor student. I was a rotten student all the way through. And uh, that's got a lot of another story to it, too, because of mostly because of physical handicaps, being severely deaf was the most important one. <clears throat> and um, at any rate, I became very serious about my spiritual life uh, as a teenager. And uh, for those listeners, it might help them to know that um, the Holy Spirit works through lots of different ways. Huh. And um, he chose to work through a young lady with long black hair <laughs> who was a beautiful, beautiful thing that went to another church than I did. (laughs) So I ended up going there to church. I see. But in that process, of course, became very involved with the youth and a wonderful youth pastor and folks that helped me to see that uh, uh, the Christian life was more than going to church. It was a way of living. Ah, I see. And uh, it took hold. And uh, so when I graduated from high school, went off to Bible school. And I went to Bible school because I, my grades were so poor I could never get into college in a place. Uh-huh. And the Bible college I went to <clears throat> was supported by our church. They gave enough yep. money that the school didn't dare turn anybody down, I think. So I got in on probation. Okay. But there was a man there by the name of Vernon Ground. Okay who somehow saw something in me, I guess, that I didn't. Okay. Um, one thing he saw in me that I played a trumpet. <laughs> yeah, And so he took me with him on weekends. Uh-huh. He did itinerant preaching on weekends, and I went with him to play trumpet. Okay. And Betty played piano, and she was a, a good singer and the like. And so frequently, his wife was a magnificent piano player and organist. Vernon's wife. And so they'd take both of us along. Okay. And so here I am, my girlfriend and I are traveling with them on weekends. Uh-huh. And I'm all of, at that point, 17 years old. Okay. And I got out of high school fairly young in spite of it all. <clears throat> and so um, went through a Bible school and pastored for about nine years and realized in there in it that... Um, the easiest thing in pastoring a church is preaching. Ah. The most difficult thing in pastoring a church is shepherding people. Ah. And I'd learned how to preach, I guess, although I'd never intended to be a preacher. Yeah. yeah. But somehow I ended up that. And uh, 
But uh, I didn't know how to take care of people. Yeah. And it was burdening me down terribly. I couldn't sleep at night and the like because people come to me with all these troubles and all these problems. Wow. And I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. So I decided uh, after I'd been there about eight years to, I by that time gotten a couple master's degrees in psychology and sociology and the like. Yeah. Enough to let me see that there were tools out there, yeah. <clears throat> but I didn't have them. Okay. So I went to Northwestern University and did a Ph.D. in clinical psychology. This is in your late 20s? And, uh, this was what? Is this in your late 20s? Uh, actually, middle. Middle 20s? Okay. It, I graduated with my Ph.D. when I was 29. Okay, gotcha. From Northwestern. Could, could I ask you one more question? Sure. That girl with the black hair that you mentioned? Yes. That became your wife, right? Indeed it did. Dr. Betty Cox. It did. And okay. we were together for seven days short of 70 years when she passed away three years ago. Wow. Uh, just about a month ago from now. Wow. Yeah. And for those that, that, that don't know, well, if you're listening, you don't know, but we're recording this podcast in Dr. Cox's home, and I'm looking at a picture, at two portraits, one of Dr. Cox and one of his lovely wife, Betty. Dr. Betty Cox, just, yeah. just over your right shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I know. I spent about a year painting that. Yeah, that's a it's a good yeah. one. It's a yeah. good one. So, so you get your 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 PhD in psychology. Yeah. Then I then I did an internship, and in my internship, I I went to the University of Illinois College of Medicine, and that wow. got me involved in medical psychology and neuropsychology and brain wow. studies. Wow. And then the rest is kind of history. I ended up going on into medicine, doing my MD. Yeah. And then when I finished the MD, I was still very involved in preaching and writing. And I've, I've always been involved teaching Sunday school and teaching and preaching yeah. and so on. And <clears throat> so, but I still wanted to learn more. Yeah. So I went to the Chicago Consortium of Theological Schools, which my major was based at Northern Baptist Seminary. Okay. And I did a doctor of ministry in systematic theology, pastoral care. Wow. And uh, basically organ, pipe organ. Okay. And so, you know, that's kind of where it's been. So yeah, I've, yeah. My life has been putting it together. Yeah. And when people ask me what I am, I say I'm a minister and I have several different tools to the yeah. trade. Yeah. I, uh, Body, soul, and spirit, right? You know, yeah. You know, I just figure that my calling was to be a minister. Yeah. And uh, there are different ways to do that. Absolutely. I've uh, <clears throat> known Dr. Cox for about two years now, which is pretty amazing to think that we've, our, our relationship has become what it's become. He's a not just a good friend, but a mentor to me, and we've written a book together now, but uh, the thing that I admired the most about you, Dr. Cox, is your humility and the fact that you've accomplished so much. You've had careers in psychology, you've had career in medicine, all the while maintaining your, your chief identity as a minister, as a follower of Christ and someone who's there to be a, a shepherd in such a way. So how is, how is your Christianity helped you in, in psychology and, and, and medicine? And I imagine it's... Uh, well, that's a very broad question, of course, too, but yeah, I, I think there are some there are some identifiers. For instance, um, in psychiatry, you recognize very quickly 
that many of the things that are considered mental illnesses are really illnesses of the soul. Ah. Wow. And more often than not, I got not necessarily in trouble, but into deep discussions with the secular world in psychiatry and behavioral sciences, which tend to think in terms of, of uh, being entirely anatomical and behavioral. <clears throat> yeah. And they forget that anatomy and chemistry and behavior don't just happen. Yeah. They are a result of the core of where a person is. Ah. And that core, whether they want to admit it or not, came from God. Huh. Every single individual, whether they recognize God or Christ or anything else in a spiritual world, yeah. whether they want to own it or not, that's where it came from. Yeah. yeah. And so they don't have to say, I am a Christian. Yeah. For God to have given them what they have. Yeah. That's right. And so... Um, I felt that's always very important, and I've seen it so active in healing, in that persons who are believers heal differently. Yeah. They wow. treat themselves differently. Wow. And I know this may rub some the wrong way, and I apologize, I guess, up front for saying this, but it bothers me when Christians do not treat their bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Ah. And so they become excessively obese without chemical or anatomical reason. There are people who have illnesses that cannot sure, help that. So sure, sure. I yeah. do certainly recognize that. Yeah. <clears throat> but many persons, it comes from gluttony. Yeah. It comes from uh, a personal self-aggrandizement kind of thing in which the world owes to me yeah. my uh, sports car and my weight and uh, my... Uh, uh, expensive kinds of things that, uh, yeah. and it isn't that I'm opposed to it, it's just that I think as a Christian, it's given me a sense of balance that I would not have had yeah. without those disciplines. I see, I see. I think it's helped me to put theology in line as a science. Yeah. And to see that the homeostasis of life is around the way we think, hmm. and the way we think is to be the mind of Christ. Ah. So just that perception, just that worldview that comes with knowing truth. Yeah, it's think, a, think on these things, Paul yeah, tells us, that yeah, kind of thing. Has a huge impact. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And I guess, for, forgive me for asking such a broad question. You you did such a great job answering it. I I can think of so many times where where you you talked about specific ways that your faith in Christ, your walk with God. I mean, in just in particular moments, treating people yes uh, gave you something that you would not have had without question. In other you know, in in other ways. So that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Well, we've. We've got this book that we've been working on for, what, has it been a year, year and a half? About a year and a half. Yeah. And it incorporates so much of... We started before, before COVID. We did start before COVID. That's right. We started in, what, probably January of 2020? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It incorporates so many of the disciplines that you have, that you've gleaned in your life. Uh, as, a, as a doctor, as a psychologist, as a pastor. But it's mainly addressed to... The church, isn't it? Exactly. Um, the book is called Secularism, The Church, and the Way Forward. You want to just talk a little bit about the origins of this book? This book, 
for those that don't know, started before I came into the, into the picture. It started as the brainchild of Dr. Cox. Uh, maybe that's a good term for it, the brainchild. It was, it was your, your word, your thought, your sort of heart for the church in modern times. But, uh, but I think there's even a story behind Yes, There's that's, definitely that's a story true. behind when that's, I came that, into the That picture. is true. <clears throat> Many years ago, I wrote a book that was called The Sacrament of Psychology. And it was during the period of time when the church was very touchy-feely and had become over-psychologized, in my opinion, mm. in which we were trying to produce psychologically sound people, not spiritually redeemed Interesting. people. Interesting. Wow. And so I wrote that book, which was published, and it was used by a number of schools as auxiliary book. I don't think it was ever a primary text. But the history behind that book is even more interesting in that I had written it mostly and had just put it away in my desk drawer, and like so many other things I write, never got finished. My son visited us, and he was an adult, a psychologist by that time, and uh, he found that in my desk. Huh. What he was doing pilfering my desk, I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he found that and he said, Dad, what are you doing with this? I said, nothing. And yeah. he read it and said, you've got to publish this. This wow. has got to be published. The Sacrament of Psychology. And so I finished it and, and published it. Yeah. Well, so now here we are 20 years later. Yeah. And it's still the same book. Yeah. It's written in a different way. It approaches it differently. Its topics are somewhat different, but the message is basically the same, and that is that the church has morphed into the world rather than encouraging the world to morph into the church. Yeah. So the message is really pretty much the same. That's right. And so when I decided to write this book, um, I had written a lot of chapters about it, as you know, and I was looking for someone to kind of help me edit it. Yeah. And through a mutual friend, you came along. Yeah, that's right. And we met at a cafe, and uh, we hit it off. Yep. And uh, somehow it developed, and we decided to do it together. And then we came upon this idea about having mythical names. That's right. And I I still don't know how I came upon the name Hudson, but I did. That's right. And somehow then everybody liked it, and you liked it, and your wife liked it. That's right. So somehow... So somehow when I tell my automatic telephone here to call you, I make the mistake and say, call Hudson. It doesn't know who to call. I'll have to change my name in your phone. Yeah. So then we decide I had to have a mythical name. That's right. That's right. And so thinking it through, it looked like that in the Old Testament, they had the Holy of Holies. Yeah. And they had the priests that guarded the Holy of Holies. Yeah. And then through the centuries, they had the people that guarded the the archives, so to speak. Then they had the people that guarded the bell tower and the holy part of the cathedrals, particularly in Europe where they had these very expensive pipe organs and yep. all. Yep. The sexton, as they were called, was more than just a janitor. Yeah. They were the caretaker, and in this real sense of the word, taking care of yeah. the things that mattered. Yeah. <clears throat> So they became the steeple meister. Yeah, that's right. The tower master. Yeah. So then, of course, I became steeple master. Steeple master. That's right. 
And so then as we go along and be our friendship developed, and the other part people listening to us won't know is that it's yeah. real. That's right. It, it's real. I mean, it That's isn't right. just made up that all of a sudden I became steeple and then steep. And then steep, yep. And it has grown not only as a mythical thing, it's grown as a real relationship. It has, absolutely. And that, so, that's the crazy part of this, is that we actually recorded sessions, Yeah. and that what we have written is not made up stuff. It's Some of it's embellished, Yeah. and some of it we've changed names and places, Yeah. and we've augmented some to make a point. Yeah. But the essence of everything we say is absolutely us. Yes, yes. So, so just to, to, to back up for a second, so the readers know, because you're going to be listening to this before the book comes out. But in the book, in the, the entire book is written in a dialogue format. Right. So Dr. Cox <clears throat> had written a, a, a book, basically. He had a whole manuscript that was his word to the church. I think originally it was called something like church question mark or so, uh, yeah, something it was. like that. And when we met, uh, he was thinking about the church and, and had written this book and was still working on it. And I was, was working at a church uh, at the time, but was more so looking at the state of the church in general going on in the world and asking a lot of the same questions that Dr. Cox was both asking and answering at the same time. So what became a friendship and, and what became us having these, these long conversations about something that he was actively writing about and I was actively thinking about, but what happened was we, we ended up morphing his book and, and our friendship and, and this huge topic that was on both of our hearts into a book that was completely in dialogue format between uh, an older, retired, wise pastor who was sort of looking at the lay of the land and asking questions, and a young pastor who was wondering, is there a future here for me? And so that's when, when he talks about the character Hudson, he's talking about the character in the book that I represent. And the funny thing is, is whenever we talk now, he refers to me as Hudson, and his character <laughs> is Pastor Steeplemaster, and I refer to him as Steep. And this has been going on for over a year. Oh, yeah. Because my wife knows I talk to Dr. Cox on the phone all the time. But then it wasn't too long ago she said, why do you call him Steve? All this time I think you're talking to someone named Steve, but I realize you're talking to Dr. Cox. And I said to her, I'm not saying Steve, I'm saying steep. Steep with a P. Because I refer to him as Steeplemaster. So that's, that's, did I do a good job filling oh, in the funny. backstory I didn't there? know that. Y'all. Yeah, yeah. So these two characters... While they're mythical, they are very much representative of Dr. Cox and myself, I would say. Would you say? Oh, very thing? much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. Would you care to speak to anything, I don't want to give too much away, but anything specific that when you looked at the church, even maybe 10, if you, you probably start, you were thinking about this 10, 20 years ago, but when you looked at the church 10 years ago or even now or a year ago or two years ago, when we kind of got going, anything specific that you thought was a, a sign of something that was happening that you needed to address? Some specific issues. Yes. Yes. I think I can speak to that very specifically. Um, and I'll try for, for it not to sound judgmental, although I guess, I guess it is. <clears throat> 
I felt the church was no longer changing lives hmm. to become disciples. Ah. I felt the church was becoming a business, yeah. a corporation, just another one of the industries in our community. Yeah. And that it had lost the vitality that brought not only better living and more Christian living, but even beyond that, I felt that it was missing the message, the primary message of the gospel in terms of what salvation is all about. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, I, I just felt it was missing the point. Yeah, missing the point. of the church, I guess I'd have right. to say it was missing right. the point. Right, Yeah, that's, uh, we could probably record a whole host of podcasts on that issue right there, but then again, we already wrote a book, so... Uh, but that is a very, very, uh, I don't think we're alone in that, in thinking that there's an issue going on in, in the Western church, and all you have to do is look at it and say, is it doing what it's supposed to be doing, which is making disciples, or is it existing for some other reason? Well, maybe without giving too much away, I can mention one thing we said in the book. Yeah. And that is when I said... I think that we may be, we may have godly churches, but I'm not sure we have Christian churches. Uh huh. Yep. In that there has been in some of the liberal circles the continuation of what you might speak of as the theological sermon. Yeah. But there has not been very much or enough, in my mind, of a Christological sermon. Yes. Yep. I don't even really want to say much more because I don't want to no, give too much away. No, I want to get the book. Exactly, <clears throat> exactly. Uh, that's, a, that's definitely a telltale sign. I remember that conversation in real life when we had that conversation very well and then, and then took it and put it in the book. So um, let me ask you this, Dr. Cox. The book is classified as a book on church renewal, which is sort of like a genre within the genre of Christian publishing or within Christian publishing is the book trying to reform the church no 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 the church is an amorphous concept okay the church meaning the bride of Christ the followers of Jesus yeah are already reformed mm Gotcha. No, I, I think it's, it's a good question, Hudson. It's, it's a <clears throat> call for those who lead the church yeah. to take charge. Wow. Okay. So not a reformation, but more a call to action. Yeah, and in that action there would be reforming, there would be remaking there would be all kinds of re yeah. Yeah. doing of things but um but i guess i guess as over against say the great reformation in which the attempt was to change the nature of the agency yeah yeah 
I guess what I'm feeling is more the necessity of changing those who lead the agency. I see. Yeah. As over again, starting with, because there's, there's no one way to worship. Right. And so I think if we were to say, here's the way to reform church. Yeah. Meaning the local congregation and how it meets on Sunday. Yeah. There's no end to that because there's no right and wrong way, except there are a few principles, of course. But yeah. But <clears throat> no, I know. I think it's asking for a a redemption of leadership that can move the church into a redemptive communion. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. I, I, I want to respond, but I don't want to keep responding so that we end up breaking down the whole book. Because like you said, like we've, like we've both already said, we want people to read it. So um, the next thing I would think to, to myself, you know, I don't want to talk about the takeaways for the reader, but do you have a big takeaway after now having finished the book and it's, it's going into publication and it's coming out? Is there, is there something that you hope... I guess we just maybe 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 you already said that just now but uh is there something that you think yeah i think maybe there is i think maybe there is and i i think it's the um i think it's the idea that there is hope mm. that um the church has gone through all kinds of of uh, convulsions and seizures Huh. In its history, yeah. Even the local church, yeah. Quite apart from the church, communal, yeah. That the local local uh, denominations have gone through all kinds of splits and everything else, and and yet survive, yeah. And I think that yes, I think maybe a major takeaway is to read this book alongside the Bible and realize that we are caretakers. We're all steeplemasters, I guess, Yeah. in the sense of, and particularly the leaders of the church, they don't have to abandon hope if they rely upon the scriptures to lead them. Mm. But if they rely upon a secular way to lead them, then we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like um, there's going to be something in the book that calls for people to to get back to the scriptures in some way, shape, or form. Indeed. Yeah. And I think that probably goes with what you talked about, which is, what you already talked about, which is making, the, the difference between making disciples and just existing to exist mm-hmm. for the purpose right. of that. Exactly. And, yeah, one of the ways that the church maybe has morphed into uh, looking more like society than vice versa is the way in which our message is not much different than uh, someone who's who's a self-help guru. Uh, when I say we, I mean the church in the West. And what? Yeah, most most sermons now could be given at the local Kiwanis Club without causing much of a stir. Right, theological and not Christological, mm-hmm. and we're not trying to. Uh, redeem people as much as just help them be better, and that's not the gospel. We're, the gospel is saying, "That's right. Let's go all the way." Yeah. Hmm. Um, well, I think people will be curious 
to know this, and we've probably already touched on it somewhat, but just so we are clear to, to the reader, are the because the whole book's in dialogue format, like we've said, are the conversations real conversations that were had? They are. Between Hudson and Stephen They Master. are absolutely real conversations. They are real conversations. And many of them came from actual recordings. <clears throat> That's and, right. Uh, <clears throat> yes. Yes, they are real conversations. And they're conversations that you and I have quite apart from the book. Yeah. We talk about these things that are not in the book. We talked a whole bunch before we started recording we, We've got, probably got another book right now that we just haven't put together. I probably do, yeah. So, yes, it's real. There was, a, there was a point in time when we were writing this book and realizing this should be actually a dialogue where we said, hey, let's start recording our conversations. And then we did. Yeah, and most of the stories in this book are, many of them came from when I pastored a church. Yeah. Many years ago. That's right. You know, and you have the person in the congregation that causes this kind of a reaction or is the gossip or the whatever. Yeah. And these are real These are real people. We just change places and names. And names. And, and, and of course, there's some moments where we embellish or we oh, of course. bring something out. Absolutely. But a lot of that's for the sake of keeping yeah, privacy we, and all that. But we, we had to invent a Karen. Yeah, we, that's right. We needed a Karen yeah, for our group. Uh, sure. That was very, uh, very shifty there, Dr. Cook, bringing in a Karen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, for, for the millennials listening, they know what a Karen is. There's probably a whole generation in between millennials and Dr. Cox's generation that don't know what Karens are, but Dr. Cox certainly knows what a Karen is. Uh, Absolutely. He's been in the know. Well, can we talk for a little bit about the the process of, of writing the book? Sure. Okay. So you had a whole process before I came into the picture. Uh, how long was this book in the works? Did it take? Oh my a while? goodness! It had been in the works for several years. Yeah. Did you? Um, I've probably got. I uh, don't know how many I've kept. I probably got five or maybe six different versions of that book. Yeah. With different titles. Yeah. And uh, it's all again. It's it's the same song with lots of verses. Ah. Yeah. Same it's the message. Same, same message. Yeah. Yeah. Same message all the way through. So the evolution of the book... Well, I guess I'll put it this way. Did you find it easy when you were first writing this book to sit down and just let it go or because of what you were seeing happening? Or was it something you more had to think specifically, how am I going to address this? There was a lot of chapters in that book. Well, a lot of different approaches. That's a fair question. Um, some of it back a few years ago started when I became so disillusioned with why I was going to church. This is pre-pandemic, right? Oh, yes. Oh, my a goodness, long yes. long time before. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. 10, 12 years or more ago. Yeah. And I was saying, you know, I, I come home feeling empty. Yeah. Or then I visit another church and come home feel like I've been entertained, but I did not worship. Ah. Um, and then I would see that, um, that the messages were primarily political. Mm. Or they sounded like I'd just come out of a sociology class. Huh. And... Um, it was very disturbing to me. Yeah. And um, but I never sat down to write. 
I don't do that, as you've discovered yeah. working with me. That's just not the way I do. I don't know why it is, but my mind incubates, and then it has to cathart. <laughs> and and so yeah. I get up in the middle of the night and I write. Yeah. Or uh, I, I think about it, and then it has to be put down. Yeah. I can't just sit down and say I'm going to write. It yeah. just somehow doesn't work for me. Yeah. Same when I, I do compositions, as you know, on music, and same thing. I, It rolls around in my head, and then I have to get it down. Yeah. So I have to get out in the middle of the night and yeah. play the piano or whatever and put it down on paper. Sounds like sort of waiting waiting for the inspiration to take over. When and it gets... so, yeah, so the process of the book, the good thing working with you has been that in dialogue, dialogue fashion, you forced me to put things into into concise, um, more organized fashion. Uh-huh. And that's very good for me because I tend to be very tangential uh-huh. in letting my mind jump from one thing to another. Yeah, yeah. And so the question-answer dialogue approach has been a very helpful thing. Yeah. And I think unique to this book it would be interesting to those listening to know that we have had publishers yeah. who said they couldn't publish it because they don't publish dialogue. Right. That's right. Which is very interesting because we thought, and I still think, yeah. that this kind of a cross between a C.S. Lewis and a Tuesdays with Maury yeah. kind of approach where you ask the old man what he thinks and the old man <laughs> tells you what he thinks. Yeah. And then you respond back and forth because, see, what that does, it allows us to leave an open space in which our readers then can put what they think. Yeah, that's right. They aren't forced to think what you do or I do. That's right. We allow a space between us in which they are invited to be in there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we, and we intentionally left those spaces open as best we could, didn't we? I mean, yes. I think you're, you're, you're naturally like that as... Uh, you know, a, a trained psychologist and counselor, you, I get the sense you like to help lead people to a conclusion rather than pick them up and drop them there. Well, yeah, it uh, has to be their conclusion. Right. And the same is true of this book. We haven't told people what to do. Right. We've asked a lot of questions. We've right. offered a lot of opinions. Yeah. But they have to get to the goal. Right. We can pick them up and set them down there. That's one of my favorite things about the book is is that we do make a lot of points and and we bring up a lot of questions, but we're not uh, trying to get somebody to to a to a mythical oasis in the middle. There's no big thing that we're trying to jam home with. No, we with I don't, we're not saying we have the answer. Right, right. But we're saying that the church as a functioning identity on earth has got to find an answer or it will not fulfill its earthly purpose. Yeah, yeah. And the way we do that subsequently is by asking a lot of questions, isn't it? It's, that's Back the method. Yeah, yeah. So you think the dialogue format will will make it even more effective, perhaps, than it Everyone was. that's read it thinks so. Yeah. <clears throat> Remember now, we've had this reviewed by a lot of people. We have. Have. There have been, what, 15 or 20 people have, have read this book now yep. in terms of review, yep. <clears throat> and they've all been more. leaders. Yep. These are not just people picked off the street. Right. The people who have reviewed the book 
are presidents of seminaries and professors yeah. and ministers and persons who are extremely educated in uh, a wide variety of fields. Yeah. And they've right. all been intrigued by the, by the dialogue approach. That's right. It is unique. That's right. It is unique. It's not attempted very often, but I think when it's done well, it's very effective. But, but I think the thing, the thing that's more important about it yeah. is that you and I have had a tremendous amount of fun doing it. We have. That's and we've true. built a relationship out of it that <laughs> is extremely unique. That's true. That's true. We would, even during COVID, uh, at least once a week, get on Zoom. We'd plan aside, we'd set aside an hour, but oftentimes we'd be on there for two hours or two and a half hours. Oh, yes. Talking not only about the many issues that are brought up in the book, but about all kinds of stuff uh, that, was going, that were going on in the world and life in general. Right. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. In fact, I'd, I'd write another book just to get back to doing those weekly sessions where we had to yeah. do it every week. Oh, yes, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, before we wrap up, any, any last words? Anything you want to say about the book, the process, the, uh, what you hope it is, anything at all? And you don't have to. Just, I mean, we've, we've said a lot. but No, I don't think so. I think this has uh, been a good session. And... Um, I think it's unusual. I think the thing that's most important about this is that it allows people to read maybe similar material if they read in other books, but in a fresh way. Yeah. And something that will stimulate them and trigger their thinking so they come up with new ideas for themselves. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So the book, once again, is called Secularism, The Church, and the Way Forward. Uh, it's co-authored by myself and Dr. Richard Cox, who's been kind enough to join me on this special episode of That You May Know Him. And uh, we're excited for it to come out. We're excited for people to read it, to uh, see the dialogue, and to hear what people think. And hopefully it stimulates even more conversations as much as it stimulates answers uh, I think that's definitely our mutual hope. Dr. Cox, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, I look forward to the next time we get to have you on. Thank you. Something Glad else. to be here. podcast is produced by That You May Know Him Ministries, Durham, North Carolina. You can visit our website at thatyoumayknowhim.com. Yeah.